0: Letter thirty four, part two of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty four, part two. My uncle was very much displeased, but he had not the opportunity to express his displeasure, as he seemed preparing to do for in came my brother in exceeding great wrath and called me several vile names his success hitherto in his device against me had set him above keeping even decent measures was this my spiteful construction he asked was this the interpretation i put upon his brotherly care of me and concern for me in order to prevent my ruining myself it is indeed it is said i i know no other way to account for your late behaviour to me and before your face i repeat my request to my uncle and i will make it to my other uncle whenever i am permitted to see him that they will confer all their favours upon you and upon my sister and only make me happy it is all i wish for in their kind looks and kind words how they all gazed upon one another but could i be less peremptory before the man and as to your care and concern for me sir turning to my brother once more i desire it not You are but my brother. My father and mother, I bless God, are both living, and were they not, you have given me abundant reason to say that you are the very last person I would wish to have any concern for me. How, niece! And is a brother, an only brother, of so little consideration with you, as this comes to? And ought he to have no concern for his sister's honour and the family's honour? My honour, sir! I desire none of his concern for that. It never was endangered till it had his undesired concern. Forgive me, sir. "'But when my brother knows how to act like a brother, or behave like a gentleman, he may deserve more consideration from me than it is possible for me now to think he does.' I thought my brother would have beat me upon this, but my uncle stood between us. "'Violent girl,' however, he called me. "'Who,' said he, "'who would have thought it of her?' Then was Mr. Solmes told that I was unworthy of his pursuit. But Mr. Solmes warmly took my part. He could not bear, he said, that I should be treated so roughly.' And so very much did he exert himself on this occasion, and so patiently was his warmth received by my brother, that I began to suspect that it was a contrivance to make me think myself obliged to him, and this might perhaps be one end of the pressed-for interview. The very suspicion of this low artifice, violent as I was thought to be before, put me still more out of patience, and my uncle and my brother again praising his wonderful generosity and his noble return of good for evil you are a happy man mr solmes said i that you can so easily confer obligations upon a whole family except upon one ungrateful person of it whom you seem to intend most to oblige but who being made unhappy by your favour desires not to owe to you any protection from the violence of a brother then was i a rude an ungrateful an unworthy creature i own it all 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 you can call me or think me brother do i own i own my unworthiness with regard to this gentleman i take your word for his abundant merit which i have neither leisure nor inclination to examine into it may perhaps be as great as your own but yet i cannot thank him for his great mediation for who sees not looking at my uncle that this is giving himself a merit with everybody at my expense then turning to my brother who seemed surprised into silence by my warmth i must also acknowledge sir the favour of your superabundant care for me But I discharge you of it, at least while I have the happiness of nearer and dearer relations. You have given me no reason to think better of your prudence than of my own. I am independent of you, sir, though I never desire to be so of my father, and although I wish for the good opinion of my uncles, it is all I wish for from them, and this, sir, I repeat, to make you and my sister easy." Instantly almost came in Betty, in a great hurry, looking at me as spitefully as if she were my sister. "'Sir,' said she to my brother. My master desires to speak with you this moment at the door." He went to that which led into my sister's parlour, and this sentence I heard thundered from the mouth of one who had a right to all my reverence. "'Son James! Let the rebel be this moment carried away to my brother's, this very moment! She shall not stay one hour more under my roof!' I trembled. I was ready to sink. Yet not knowing what I did, or said, I flew to the door and would have opened it, but my brother pulled it to and held it close by the key oh my papa my dear papa said i falling upon my knees at the door admit your child to your presence let me but plead my cause at your feet oh reprobate not thus your distressed daughter my uncle put his handkerchief to his eyes mr solmes made a still more grievous face than he had before but my brother's marble heart was untouched i will not stir from my knees continued i without admission at this door i beg it oh let it be the door of mercy and open it to me honoured sir i beseech you "'But this once, this once, although you were afterwards to shut it against me for ever!' The door was endeavoured to be opened on the inside, which made my brother let go the key on a sudden, and I pressing against it, all the time remaining on my knees, fell flat on my face into the other parlour, however without hurting myself. But everybody was gone except Betty, who I suppose was the person that endeavoured to open the door. She helped to raise me up, and when I was on my feet... I looked round that apartment, and seeing nobody there, re-entered the other leaning upon her, and then threw myself into the chair which I had sat in before, and my eyes overflowed to my great relief, while my uncle Antony, my brother, and Mr. Solmes left me, and went to my other relations. What passed among them I know not, but my brother came in by the time I had tolerably recovered myself, with a settled and haughty gloom upon his brow. Your father and mother command you instantly to prepare for your uncle Antony's, You need not be solicitous about what you shall take with you. You may give Betty your keys. Take them, Betty, if the perverse one has them about her, and carry them to her mother. She will take care to send everything after you that you shall want, but another night you will not be permitted to stay in this house. I don't choose to give my keys to anybody except to my mother, and into her own hands. You see how much I am disordered. It may cost me my life to be hurried away so suddenly. I beg to be indulged till next Monday at least. That will not be granted you. So prepare for this very, very night, and give up your keys. Give them to me, miss. I'll carry them to your mother. Excuse me, brother, indeed I won't. Indeed you must. Have you anything you are afraid should be seen by your mother? Not if I be permitted to attend her. I'll make a report accordingly. He went out. In came Miss Dolly Harvey. I am sorry, madam, to be the messenger, but your mamma insists upon your sending up all the keys of your cabinet, library, and drawers. Tell my mother that I yield them up to her commands tell her i make no conditions with my mother but if she finds nothing she shall disapprove of i beg that she will permit me to tarry here a few days longer try my dolly the dear girl sobbing with grief try if your gentleness cannot prevail for me she wept still more and said it is sad very sad to see matters thus carried she took the keys and wrapped her arms about me and begged me to excuse her for her message and would have said more but betty's presence awed her as i saw don't pity me my dear said i It would be imputed to you as a fault. You see who is by.' The insolent wench scornfully smiled. "'One young lady pitying another in things of this nature looks promising in the youngest, I must needs say.' I bid her begone from my presence. "'She would most gladly go,' she said, were she not to stay about me by my mother's order. It soon appeared for what she stayed, for I, offering to go upstairs to my apartment when my cousin went from me with the keys, she told me she was commanded, to her very great regret she must own to desire me not to go up at present. Such a bold face as she, I told her, should not hinder me. She instantly rang the bell, and in came my brother, meeting me at the door. "'Return! Return, miss! No going up yet!' I went in again, and throwing myself upon the window-seat, wept bitterly. Shall I give you the particulars of a ridiculously spiteful conversation that passed between my brother and me, in the time that he, with Betty, was in office to keep me in the parlour while my closet was searching? But I think I will not. It can answer no good end. I desired several times while he stayed to have leave to retire to my apartment, but was denied. The search, I suppose, was not over. Bella was one of those employed in it. They could not have a more diligent searcher. How happy it was they were disappointed! But when my sister could not find the cunning creature's papers, I was to stand another visit from Mr. Solmes, preceded now by my Aunt Harvey's solely against her will, I could see that, accompanied by my Uncle Antony, in order to keep her steady, I suppose. But being a little heavy, for it is now past two in the morning, I will lie down in my clothes to indulge the kind summons, if it will be indulged. Three o'clock, Wednesday morning. I could not sleep, only dozed away one half-hour. My aunt Harvey accosted me thus. Oh, my dear child, what troubles do you give to your parents and to everybody? I wonder at you. I am sorry for it, madam. Sorry for it, child? Why then so very obstinate? Come, sit down, my dear. I will sit next to you taking my hand. My uncle placed Mr. Solmes on the other side of me, himself over against me, almost close to me. Was I not finely beset, my dear? "'Your brother, child,' said my aunt, "'is too passionate. His zeal for your welfare pushes him on a little too vehemently.' "'Very true,' said my uncle, "'but no more of this. We would now be glad to see if milder means will do with you, though indeed they were tried before. I asked my aunt if it were necessary that the gentleman should be present.' there is a reason that he should said my aunt as you will hear by and by but i must tell you first that thinking you was a little too angrily treated by your brother your mother desired me to try what gentler means would do upon a spirit so generous as we used to think yours nothing can be done madam i must presume to say if this gentleman's address be the end she looked upon my uncle who bit his lip and looked upon mr solmes who rubbed his cheek and shaking her head good dear creature said she be calm let me ask you if something would have been done had you been more gently used than you seem to think you have been no madam i cannot say it would in this gentleman's favour you know madam you know sir to my uncle i ever valued myself upon my sincerity and once indeed had the happiness to be valued for it my uncle took mr Solmes aside i heard him say whispering she must she shall still be yours we'll see who'll conquer parents or child uncles or niece I doubt not to be witness to all this being got over, and many a good-humoured jest made of this high frenzy. I was heartily vexed. Though we cannot find out, continued he, yet we guess who puts her upon this obstinate behaviour. It is not natural to her man, nor would I concern myself so much about her, but that I know what I say to be true, and intend to do great things for her. "'I will hourly pray for that happy time,' whispered as audibly Mr. Solmes, "'I never will revive the remembrance of what is now so painful to me. "'Well, but, niece, I am to tell you,' said my aunt, "'that the sending up of the keys, without making any conditions, "'has wrought for you what nothing else could have done, "'that and the not finding anything that could give the mumbridge, "'together with Mr. Solmes's interposition. "'Oh, madam, let me not owe an obligation to Mr. Solmes. "'I cannot repay it, except by my thanks, "'and those only on condition that he will decline his suit. "'To my thanks, sir,' turning to him, "'if you have a heart capable of humanity, "'if you have any esteem for me for my own sake, "'I beseech you to entitle yourself. I beseech you, do.' "'Oh, madam!' cried he, "'believe, believe! Believe me, it is impossible. "'While you are single, I will hope. While that hope is encouraged by so many worthy friends, I must persevere. "'I must not slight them, madam, because you slight me.' I answered him only with a look, but it was of high disdain, and turning from him. "'But what favour, dear madam, to my aunt, has the instance of duty you mention procured me?' Your mother and Mr. Solmes," replied my aunt, have prevailed, that your request to stay here till Monday next shall be granted, if you will promise to go cheerfully then. Let me but choose my own visitors, and I will go to my uncle's house with pleasure. Well, niece, said my aunt, we must waive this subject, I find. We will now proceed to another, which will require your utmost attention. It will give you the reason why Mr. Solmes's presence is requisite. Aye, said my uncle, and shew you what sort of a man somebody is. Mr. Solmes, pray favour us in the first place with the letter you received from your anonymous friend. "'I will, sir.' And out he pulled a letter-case, and taking out a letter, it is written in answer to one, sent to the person. It is superscribed, to Roger Solmes, Esquire. It begins thus, Honoured Sir. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' said I, "'but what, pray, is the intent of reading this letter to me?' "'To let you know what a vile man you are thought to have set your heart upon,' said my uncle, in an audible whisper. "'If, sir, it be suspected that I have set my heart upon any other,' "'Why is Mr. Solmes to give himself any further trouble about me?' "'Only hear, niece,' said my aunt, "'only hear what Mr. Solmes has to read and to say to you on this head. "'If, madam, Mr. Solmes will be pleased to declare "'that he has no view to serve, no end to promote for himself, "'I will hear anything he shall read. "'But if the contrary, you must allow me to say "'that it will abate with me a great deal of the weight of whatever he shall produce.' "'Hear it but read, niece,' said my aunt. "'Hear it read,' said my uncle. You are so ready to take part with—with anybody, sir, that is accused anonymously, and from interested motives. He began to read, and there seemed to be a heavy load of charges in this letter against the poor criminal. But I stopped the reading of it, and said, It will not be my fault, if this vilified man be not as indifferent to me as one whom I never saw. If he be otherwise at present, which I neither own nor deny, it proceed from the strange methods taken to prevent it. Do not let one cause unite him and me, and we shall not be united. If my offer to live single be accepted, he shall be no more to me than this gentleman. Still, proceed, Mr. Solmes. Hear it out, niece,' was my uncle's cry. "'But to what purpose, sir?' said I. "'Had not Mr. Solmes a view in this? And besides, can anything worse be said of Mr. Lovelace than I have heard said for several months past?' "'But this,' said my uncle, and what Mr. Solmes can tell you besides, amounts to the fullest proof.' Was the unhappy man, then, so freely treated in his character before, without full proof? I beseech you, sir, give me not too good an opinion of Mr. Lovelace, as I may have, if such pains be taken to make him guilty by one who means not his reformation by it, nor to do good, if I may presume to say so in this case, to any body but himself. I see very plainly, girl, said my uncle, your prepossession, your fond prepossession, for the person of a man without morals. Indeed, my dear, said my aunt, "'You too much justify all your apprehension. "'Surprising that a young creature of virtue and honour "'should thus esteem a man of a quite opposite character. "'Dear Madam, do not conclude against me too hastily. "'I believe Mr. Lovelace is far from being so good as he ought to be. "'But if every man's private life was searched into by prejudiced people, "'set on for that purpose, I know not whose reputation would be safe. "'I love a virtuous character as much in man as in woman. "'I think it is requisite. "'and as meritorious in the one as in the other, "'and if left to myself, I would prefer a person of such a character to royalty without it. "'Why, then,' said my uncle, "'give me leave, sir. "'But I may venture to say that many of those who have escaped censure have not merited applause. "'Permit me to observe further that Mr. Solmes himself may not be absolutely faultless. "'I never heard of his virtues. "'Some vices I have heard of—excuse me, Mr. Solmes. I speak to your face— The text about casting the first stone affords an excellent lesson. He looked down, but was silent. Mr. Lovelace may have vices you have not. You may have others which he has not. I speak not this to defend him, or to accuse you. No man is bad, no one is good in everything. Mr. Lovelace, for example, is said to be implacable, and to hate my friends. That does not make me value him the more. But give me leave to say that they hate him as much. Mr. Solmes has his antipathies likewise very strong ones, and those to his own relations, which I don't find to be the other's fault, for he lives well with his. Yet he may have as bad. Worse, pardon me, he cannot have, in my poor opinion, for what must be the man who hates his own flesh?' "'You know not, madam. You know not, niece,' all in one breath. "'You know not, Clary.' "'I may not, nor do I desire to know Mr. Solmes's reasons. It concerns not me to know them, but the world, even the impartial part of it, accuses him.' "'If the world is unjust or rash in one man's case, why may it not be so in another's? "'That's all I mean by it. "'Nor can there be a greater sign of want of merit than where a man seeks to pull down "'another's character in order to build up his own.' "'The poor man's face was all this time overspread with confusion, twisted, as it were, and "'all awry, neither mouth nor nose standing in the middle of it. "'He looked as if he were ready to cry, and had he been capable of pitying me, I had certainly "'tried to pity him.' They all three gazed upon one another in silence. My aunt I saw, at least I thought so, looked as if she would have been glad she might have appeared to approve of what I said. She but feebly blamed me when she spoke, for not hearing what Mr. Solmes had to say. He himself seemed not now very earnest to be heard. My uncle said, there was no talking to me, and I should have absolutely silenced both gentlemen, had not my brother come in again to their assistance. This was the strange speech he made at his entrance, his eyes flaming with anger this prating girl has struck you all dumb, I perceive. Persevere, however, Mr. Solmes. I have heard every word she has said, and I know of no other method of being even with her than after she is yours to make her sensible of your power as she now makes you of her insolence." "'Fie, Cousin Harlowe," said my aunt, "'could I have thought a brother would have said this to a gentleman of a sister?' "'I must tell you, madam,' said he, "'that you give the rebel courage. You yourself seem to favour too much the arrogance of her sex in her otherwise she durst not have thus stopped her uncle's mouth by reflections upon him as well as denied to hear a gentleman tell her the danger she is in from a libertine whose protection as she plainly hinted she intends to claim against her family stop my uncle's mouth by reflections upon him sir said i how can that be how dare you to make such an application as this my aunt wept at his reflection upon her "Cousin," said she to him if this be the thanks i have for my trouble i have done Your father would not treat me thus, and I will say that the hint you gave was an unbrotherly one.' "'Not more unbrotherly than all the rest of his conduct to me of late, madam,' said I. I see by this specimen of his violence how everybody has been brought into his measures. Had I any the least apprehension of ever being in Mr. Solmes's power, this might have affected me. But you see, sir, to Mr. Solmes, what a conduct is thought necessary to enable you to arrive at your ungenerous end. You see how my brother courts for you.' I disclaim Mr. Harlowe's violence, madam, with all my soul. I will never remind you. Silence, worthy sir," said I. I will take care you never shall have the opportunity. "'Less violence, Clary,' said my uncle. "'Cousin James, you are as much to blame as your sister.' In then came my sister. "'Brother,' said she, "'you kept not your promise. You were thought to be to blame within as well as here. Were not Mr. Solmes's generosity and affection to the girl well known, what you said would have been inexcusable. My father desires to speak with you. "'And with you, Mr. Solmes, if you please.' They all four withdrew into the next apartment. I stood silent, as not knowing presently how to take this intervention of my sister's. But she left me not long at a loss. "'Oh, thou perverse thing!' said she, poking out her angry face at me, when they were all gone, but speaking spitefully low. "'What trouble do you give to us all?' "'You and my brother, Bella said I, "'give trouble to yourselves. Yet neither you nor he have any business to concern yourselves about me.' she threw out some spiteful expressions still in a low voice as if she chose not to be heard without and i thought it best to oblige her to raise her tone a little if i could if i could did i say it is easy to make a passionate spirit answer all one's views upon it she accordingly flamed out in a raised tone and this brought my cousin dolly into us miss harlowe your company is desired i will come presently cousin dolly but again provoking a severity from me which she could not bear and calling me names In once more comes Dolly with another message, that her company was desired. "'Not mine, I doubt, Miss Dolly,' said I. The sweet-tempered girl burst out into tears, and shook her head. "'Go in before me, child,' said Bella, vexed to see her concern for me. "'With thy sharp face like a new moon, what dost thou cry for? Is it to make thy keen face look still keener?' I believe Bella was blamed too when she went in, for I heard her say, the creature was so provoking there was no keeping a resolution. Mr. Solmes, after a little while came in again by himself, to take leave of me, full of scrapes and compliments, but too well tutored and encouraged to give me hope of his declining his suit. He begged me not to impute to him any of the severe things to which he had been a sorrowful witness. He besought my compassion, as he called it. He said the result was, that he still had hopes given him, and although discouraged by me, he was resolved to persevere while I remained single.' and such long and such painful services he talked of, as never before were heard of. I told him in the strongest manner what he had to trust to. Yet still he determined to persist. While I was no man's else, he must hope. "'What,' said I, "'will you still persist when I declare, as I do now, that my affections are engaged, and let my brother make the most of it?' He knew my principles, and adored me for them. He doubted not that it was in his power to make me happy, and he was sure i would not want the will to be so i assured him that why to be carried to my uncles it should answer no end for i would never see him nor receive a line from him nor hear a word in his favor whoever were the person who should mention him to me he was sorry for it he must be miserable were i to hold in that mind but he doubted not that i might be induced by my father and uncles to change it never never he might depend upon it it was richly worth his patience and the trial at my expense at the price of all my happiness sir he hoped i should be induced to think otherwise and then would he have run into his fortune his settlements his affection vowing that never man loved a woman with so sincere a passion as he loved me i stopped him as to the first part of his speech and to the second of the sincerity of his passion what then sir said i is your love to one who must assure you that never young creature looked upon man with a more sincere disapprobation then I look upon you, and tell me what argument can you urge, that this true declaration answers not beforehand. "'Dearest madam, what can I say? On my knees, I beg!' And down the ungraceful wretch dropped on his knees. "'Let me not kneel in vain, madam. Let me not be thus despised!' And he looked most odiously sorrowful. "'I have kneeled too, Mr. Solmes. Often have I kneeled, and I will kneel again. Even to you, sir, will I kneel, if there be so much merit in kneeling.' provided you will not be the implement of my cruel brother's undeserved persecution. If all the services, even to worship you, during my whole life, you, madam, invoke and expect mercy, yet shew none. Am I to be cruel to myself to shew mercy to you? Take my estate, sir, with all my heart, since you are such a favourite in this house. Only leave me myself. The mercy you ask for do you shew to others? If you mean to my relations, madam, unworthy as they are, all shall be done that you shall prescribe.' who i sir to find you bowels you naturally have not i to purchase their happiness by the forfeiture of my own what i ask you for is mercy to myself that since you seem to have some power over my relations you will use it in my behalf tell them that you see i cannot conquer my aversion to you tell them if you are a wise man that you too much value your own happiness to risk it against such a determined antipathy Tell them that I am unworthy of your offers, and that in mercy to yourself, as well as to me, you will not prosecute a suit so impossible to be granted. "'I will risk all consequences,' said the fell wretch, rising with a countenance whitened over, as if with malice, his hollow eyes flashing fire, and biting his under-lip, to shew he could be manly. "'Your hatred, madam, shall be no objection with me, and I doubt not in a few days to have it in my power to shew you.' "'You have it in your power, sir?' He came well off. "'To shew you more generosity than, noble as you are said to be to others, you shew to me.' "'The man's face became his anger. It seems formed to express the passion. "'At that instant again in came my brother. "'Sister, sister, sister,' said he, with his teeth set, "'act on the termagant part you have so newly assumed. "'Most wonderfully well does it become you. "'It is but a short one, however. Tyrannous in your turn, accuse others of your own guilt. "'But leave her, leave her, Mr. Solmes. Her time is short.' "'You'll find her humble and mortified enough very quickly. "'Then how, like a little tame fool, will she look, "'with her conscience upbraiding her and begging of you?' "'With a whining voice the barbarous brother spoke, "'to forgive and forget.' "'More,' he said, as he flew out with a glowing face, "'upon Shorey's coming in to recall him on his violence. "'I removed from chair to chair, "'excessively frighted and disturbed at this brutal treatment. "'The man attempted to excuse himself "'as being sorry for my brother's passion.' leave me leave me sir fanning or i shall faint and indeed i thought i should he recommended himself to my favour with an air of assurance augmented as i thought by a distress so visible in me for he even snatched my trembling my struggling hand and ravished it to his odious mouth i flung from him with high disdain and he withdrew bowing and cringing self-gratified and enjoying as i thought the confusion he saw me in the wretches now methinks before me and now i see him awkwardly striding backward as he retired till the edge of the open door which he ran against remembered him to turn his welcome back upon me upon his withdrawing betty brought me word that i was permitted to go up to my own chamber and was bid to consider of everything for my time was short nevertheless she believed i might be permitted to stay till saturday she tells me that although my brother and sister were blamed for being so hasty with me yet when they made their report and my uncle Antony his of my provocations they were all more determined than ever in mr solmes's favour the wretch himself she tells me pretends to be more in love with me than before and to be rather delighted than discouraged with the conversation that passed between us he ran on she said in raptures about the grace wherewith i should dignify his board and the like sort of stuff either of his saying or of her making she closed all with a now is your time miss to submit with a grace and to make your own terms with him else i can tell you were i mr solmes it should be worse for you "'And who, Miss, of our sex,' proceeded the saucy creature, "'would admire a rakish gentleman when she might be admired by a sober one to the end of the chapter?' She made this further speech to me on quitting my chamber. "'You have had amazing good luck, Miss, I must tell you, to keep your writings concealed so cunningly. You must needs think I know that you are always at your pen, and as you endeavour to hide that knowledge from me, I do not think myself obliged to keep your secret. "'But I love not to aggravate. I had rather reconcile by much.' Peacemaking is my talent, and ever was. "'And had I been as much your foe as you imagine, "'you had not perhaps been here now. "'But this, however, I do not say to make a merit with you, miss, "'for truly it will be the better for you "'the sooner everything is over with you, "'and better for me and for every one else, that's certain. "'Yet one hint I must conclude with, "'that your pen and ink, soon as you are to go away, "'will not be long in your power, I do assure you, miss. "'And then, having lost that amusement, it will be seen.' how a mind so active as yours will be able to employ itself. This hint alarms me so much, that I shall instantly begin to conceal in different places pens, inks, and paper, and to deposit some in the Ivy Summer House, if I can find a safe place there, and at the worst I have got a pencil of black, and another of red lead, which I use in my drawings, and my pattern shall serve for paper, if I have no other. How lucky it was that I had got away my papers! They made a strict search for them, that I can see, by the disorderly manner they have left all things in, "'for you know that I am such an observer of method "'that I can go to a bit of ribbon or lace or edging blindfold. "'The same in my books, "'which they have strangely disordered and mismatched. "'To look behind them and in some of them, I suppose. "'My clothes too are rumpled not a little. "'No place has escaped them. "'To your hint I thank you. "'Are they indebted for their disappointment? "'The pen through heaviness and fatigue "'dropped out of my fingers at the word indebted. "'I resumed it to finish the sentence, "'and to tell you that I am, your for ever obliged and affectionate Clarissa Harlowe. End of letter thirty four, part two.